Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say welcome back, to the Indie Football Podcast, live from uh, Moscow, as we are... And have been pretty much every day throughout this World Cup. Um, it's a big one uh, because I believe today might be uh, the day that it carries on its journey home. Um, more on that later. First, I guess we should review the day's incredible World Cup action. And of course, uh, I'm not alone to do that. I sat alongside me for the first time in weeks, months maybe. It we feels like forever. Have. It's about at least 20 games ago. Yeah. It's uh, Mark Critchley. Hi Ed, and and how are you doing? How was how was Sochi? How was your time away from Moscow? Um, how much did you miss me on a scale of one to ten? Uh, two point five. Good, that's nice. Um, that's Sochi, nice Sochi, I'd give a nice round eight. Lives up to its reputation as um, Richard's Krasnodar's Blackpool. Um, I really enjoyed my days just waking up quite late with this. You know, and it stays dark there as well. That's the main thing, actually. Unlike Moscow, which gets bright at about half three in the morning, uh, like full daylight. Uh, there, it was it was until about seven. So you could, you know, get up quite late, walk, stroll down the uh, seafront, walk to the stadium, enjoy your nice salmon uh, and a bit of a caprese salad at, at, <laughs> at Sochi Stadium, and then uh, you know, hang around with. Uh, all my friends <laughs> that sounds like you had a delightful bloody time yeah you know very different from here where we just tend to stay cooped up in the flat but not that, that's fine as well like I said, <laughs> that's fine so yeah lovely so he had a much better time uh, when he left basically um, but he's back now there's nothing he can do about it um, and one of the reasons you're back I guess is uh, for England versus Colombia tomorrow which again I will get to later on because first uh, I think we should talk about the late game because the late game was probably the most entertaining of the two in which Belgium breezed past Japan you know as everyone expected you know, they're just a better team um, but they, they, they had 95 minutes of utter torture before that final breezing uh, in that move Japan go 2-0 up after half time probably Japan the better team in the first half would you say? Yeah I think so I think certainly Japan played a lot better than we expected um, I know from my own personal I, I haven't actually Japan weirdly with the one team that I haven't seen any game of so far before tonight because something's always been on or you know like, or, whatever. or like Germany versus South Korea which which was certainly <laughs> field of, of more important that day but yeah no I was so I was I was kind of you know surprised impressed with with, um, with Japan tonight and how they started certainly um, appeared quite difficult to break down Belgium were dominating possession kind of pinning them back a little bit but Japan always the, the, the goalkeeper apart who I, I thought looked a bit shaky at times they look quite comfortable with that and I think you know for all this talk last week that we were saying oh well you'd rather have Japan than Colombia wouldn't you I think you know these two 
two teams who, who could have caused England problems if England had been playing in this game. And like we saw, Japan did cause Belgium problems, certainly in the first half, but then more so at the start of the second. I've seen quite a lot of Japan and I've been quite impressed. They, they were a lot better than I expected coming into the tournament. Um, they have a midfield packed with kind of playmakers, like number 10 sort of players or deep line playmakers and, it, and it, what it means is that they're very good on the ball they pass it around nicely um, they fill the centre of the park and they've actually come up against quite a few teams that basically let them do that uh, which like Senegal were kind of all over the place mm-hmm. um, and you watch that today and Belgium were trying to like stretch the field as Roberto Martinez does but what all that did was just kind of leave Axel Witzel and Kevin De Bruyne two of them against five Japanese midfielders he passed it around them at will Takashi knew he was the best player in the park that first 45 minutes and he slips through uh, oh I've got the guy's name I've got it Genki Yamaguchi Haraguchi Har- Genki Haraguchi yeah I knew it Genki Haraguchi um, Vertonghen slight mistake but not one that we're going to kill him for I guess uh, and Haraguchi does this beautiful kind of half like stutter to set Thibaut Courtois off balance and then sticks it beyond him. Yeah, well, it's one of those where you're thinking, oh, what are you doing right up until like he manages to actually get the shot off and, and it's just got enough angle. He's got the angle just about right just for it to reach around uh, Courtois. Um, reach around. Reach around, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, that was surprising. But when uh, Takeshi Inui yeah. with the second, I mean, from there... I mean, it's easy, it's easier to say in hindsight. But when when they go two 0 up, I was looking at it and I thought, "Wow, like are they are they going to do this?" And then I saw the clock, and it was like I don't know what 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 minute was anyways? it? It can't have been any later than about fifty five or fifty four or something like that. They've scored too early, if anything. Well, that's it. And and this is I remember. Do you remember that United um, played Tottenham in like two thousand and one at White Hart Lane, and Tottenham went three 0 up in the first half? I think. I think this. I think Man City, this, Tottenham. No, no, it was definitely it was Ferguson's United. I think it's the I think it's the it's the game where um, Ferguson says to them at, at halftime, lads, it's Tottenham. I think that's what, where it comes from, and um, they come back to win anyway. United turn it completely around, and the Glenn Hoddle afterwards was said, if anything, we scored too early, and it's you know I think he got mocked and ridiculed for it at the time, but it's it is a thing, you know, it is a thing, and, and a game state is a thing, and if you're if you're forced to. If you're forced to um, play in a certain way or, or defend the lead for a, a long period of time, where perhaps, you know, what, whatever physically, mentally, you, you aren't prepared to do it, then you can falter. And I think you got that sense. Maybe I I, I got that sense slightly at two nil, um, but then definitely, I mean, towards the end. I, we'll talk about the end. I don't, do you, yeah. do you, should we well, get no, onto it? Uh, the end well, the end. well, what it what it forced what it forced Belgium to do was, you know, Belgium. I had the feeling was they weren't that good in the first half. It didn't really come together for them. And what they probably would have done because they would have trusted their superior quality um, in the way that kind of Spain seemed to yesterday, and they would have gradually notched it up. You know, take it like we'll go up to seven attacking, then we'll go eight out of ten attacking, then we'll go nine out of ten attacking, and then. Because they're two 0 down in like a minute, really. It was like two minutes, wasn't it, between the goals or something? And two minutes in which Hazard actually hit the post as well. Um, so he has to go for the Christ. We're in all sorts of trouble here. Mm-hmm. So he throws on obviously Nasser Chadley and Marouane Fellaini. Um, 
but it works. I mean, the first goal was was Vertonghen, um, and I'm not convinced that he meant it, but Vertonghen pulls them back to two one, and then there's still like half an hour or so to go. I think just less minutes, yeah. twenty minutes to go, and then you've got Fellaini in there. And Japan are going into their shell a little bit. Japan still had chances on the counter, but uh, didn't quite work out. And then Fellaini, when was the Fellaini equaliser? Which was obviously a towering header. It was about 15 to go. So 15 to go. And then it sets up a great ending. And so Belgium have, have the momentum. And, you know, again, we can argue if momentum is a thing or not. But um, <laughs> so Belgium going forward, Japan having chances. Uh, Japan hit the post at this stage as well. Um, and then, I mean, so where, where do you want to take it? So, Bel- um, so Belgium give away a free kick in stoppage time, which is about 30 yards out. And Keisuke Honda, the substitute, comes, and he's renowned for his free kicks, comes on and he hits an unbelievably good free kick. It's just, the Courtois just gets it. And I think a lot of goalkeepers wouldn't have saved that. Mm. They get a corner. They send a lot of men up for the corner because they're knackered and they just want to kill this game. They feel... They can do it. And then what happens? Well, then is one of the best transitions in play that you're going to see at this World Cup. And I'm, I'm sure everybody who's listened to this has seen it by now. But um, I, I think a lot of people have picked out Romelu Lukaku's role in it, even though he doesn't touch the ball. Um, it's absolutely spectacular the way he... It's his run down um, the right-hand side, flank of Belgium's right across the face of the goal that pulls the defender away and frees up um, I'm, I'm going to say his name wrong but Munier M- Munier Munier yeah okay it's a type of wine isn't it I found out is it maybe uh, maybe it is anyway so that frees that guy up to come down the right and um, and then the cross he, he, he comes towards the byline the cross comes in Lukaku could take it but steps over the ball knowing that Chadley's behind it's coming on the finish and Chadley's finish takes a moment but like yeah, straight in. Like I said, you've all seen it now. My favourite bit personally is I think it's um it's when De Bruyne picks it up from Courtois in the first instance, and he's kind of like just running, charging into into Japan's half, and uh, there's a single Japanese defender. I think it's Yamaguchi. He's just stood there like, oh god, like <laughs> <laughs> totally mortified about what's what's going to happen, and he can see it, and um, he's he's just fixed, rooted to the spot. And then, um, like I said, everything that I've just described happens from there. Um, I think I, I saw I saw a few people, and I think there was a bit of a debate about whether Japan should have thrown so many forward on the corner. But th- it comes back to what I was saying just there before. I think you could almost tell there was a there was a sense in this Jap- Japan team that they'd had the chance to win it, being two 0 up, and they just looked a little bit out on the feet. And it was like, you know what? If this goes to extra time, yeah. yeah. Make, you know we don't really want to give Belgium another 30 minutes to score so I, I have a bit of sympathy for them in, in, in that they thought we've got we've got a last corner here there's 30 seconds left because that's all there was 30 seconds and perhaps if we can get something off this then you know <laughs> we're through um, so a bit of sympathy for them on that and yeah well, yeah. and what they needed basically was Depending to there's one thing they're trying to avoid and what they're trying to avoid is the perfect counter-attack. Um, and what occurs is the perfect counter-attack. Mm. The ball falls to Kevin De Bruyne, who had a very, very quiet game, to be polite. Um, not in a great situation for him, playing that central midfield role, I don't think. But anyway, he, uh, 
He picks the ball up about 30 yards out. And the thing that people, I think, underestimate about Kevin De Bruyne, he's really fast. He's really, really fast. He's not slow, no. Yeah. And, he, and he picks up the ball and he shifts through the gears very quickly to get to top speed. And suddenly, he's motoring up the centre of the field. Mm-hmm. And either side of him, there are red shirts streaking up the field. And you see the Japanese defenders, as you said. And then suddenly they realise there's about two or three of them there. And there's about four or five red shirts. And they're not catching him. And as you see Meunier flying up on the right and Chadley flying up on the left, you've got Lukaku, who makes a run from kind of centre-right uh, across the defenders are taken with him, which is perfect. And you realise the perfect pass is, I and mean, we're watching it as it happens, and it's like, like if, if he plays it to the right here, they're in all sorts of trouble. And he has to make the pass obviously perfectly weighted and, and perfectly placed, but this is Kevin De Bruyne. So it goes perfectly in that channel. Meunier gallops onto it, fizzes it across the first time, Lukaku's dummy is sensational because it it's almost like a striker's instinct there is is to you just want to try and kind of awkwardly clip it home mm. um, and most strikers would try that there especially like in the last minute of a game you know and you think of the adrenaline in that moment when you're just you just run probably like 100 yards but he steps over it and Nasser Chadley uh, the obvious hero of, of any World Cup is at the far post to, to score. Belgium go ballistic and all the Japanese players are just flat on the floor. And their World Cup dream is over. But might it be good news for the World Cup as a whole? Um, I think it sets up a really, a really enticing quarterfinal against Brazil. So if, if, if that's good news, then yes. Um, and I think there's something to the argument that... Over the last couple of days, that it's been it's been fantastic. Um, the knockout stage so far, with Spain going out and with Argentina, France the other day, um, and then of course like the culmination of the group stage last last week with Germany. But I'm a I, I do have sympathy for the point of view that perhaps we were losing too many of the, you know, the the contenders and the and the, the top quality sides a bit early, and and you kind of yeah. I, you you want you want the last rounds of the competition to be to be stocked full of talent because you know this is the business end now. I think I think I'm right in saying that we've we've got ten games left now, just ten, and really it's just it's single figures. It's nine because no one cares about the third place playoff. So from here on out, you know we want this tournament to live up to the reputation that it's earned for itself so far and 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 really impress us over the last few weeks. And I was fearing that. Perhaps if Belgium go out and it's a, it's a Brazil Japan quarter final, and Japan don't quite get the breaks again, then it's a bit of a foregone conclusion, and we and we lose a bit of we lose a bit of something in the latter stages. I think we all remember two thousand and two and how that kind mm-hmm. of disappointed towards the end. So um, so yeah, and perhaps perhaps it's the best result for for neutrals, but uh, you couldn't help but feel sorry for Japan at the end when the players were out flat on their feet. No, I, I, the thing I liked about Japan is, is that we do think of them as kind of not not a minnow, but certainly an underdog, a team that you don't expect really to to go deep into the tournament. And so often those teams come and play, they play defensive, negative, conservative football, and, and Japan haven't done that at any stage. Um, you know, which I appreciate. It means the games are entertaining, which a lot of the time when it's a World Cup and you're not invested in the game for whatever reason, it's it's good. Um, I think it. It does set up a better quarterfinal. I had much greater hopes for Belgium before this game than after this game. Um, 
this game was, was not, not good from them at all. Um, but they do live to fight another day. They do live to kind of make up for it. But I just can't work out how this system doesn't get shredded to pieces by the Brazil team that we saw earlier in the day beating Mexico. Yeah, and, and I think the concern tonight would be, it's a weird one because you don't want to be critical of Martinez because when... Well, he did well with the subs, for sure. Well, this is it though, isn't it? Because he did well with the subs, but has, have, have, has any of it, does anyone have anything insightful to say about why those substitutions worked? Because everybody saw that but, Fellaini and... <laughs> it was Fellaini and Chadley were coming on and, and yeah, we, perhaps we have biases because... And I think Fellaini's a very, I, th- I think he gets a lot of undue stick, and I think he's a very, he can be a very effective player. But it's not something, you know, if that's Martinez's plan B, then it's so far removed from his plan A, then you wonder, like, if that happens again, are they going to get the same breaks? You know, is it? But plan A wasn't working. That's true, but I mean, you you look for some kind of like thread and some kind of perhaps some kind of consistency with it. Where if it feels like it's just kind of like throwing the big lad on, and like then. That isn't it. Isn't foolproof, is it? And it isn't. It isn't quite as coherent as as the system that he has in place as Plan A. So, do you? I mean, do you? Re, do we expect Fellaini to turn a game around again if they're two 0 down to Brazil with twenty minutes to go? I, I think that's the big question that you would have tonight, and it's it's probably still no. That's because Brazil are a lot taller than Japan, um, and and to be honest, it was just a. You know, it, it was kind of, it was deserved that they went behind. But as soon as they really started pressing on, I think Japan, Japan felt, I think, that they could defend a two-goal lead. And that was probably their biggest mistake. Um, they, they had two very physical aerial challenges in Lukaku and Fellaini at the end. And uh, it, it just never looked like they were going to hold them out. Like, as soon as the, the Vatongan goal was rubbish as well, that's the thing is, when you're trying to hold out and, and keep an upset going like that you, you, you can't give them the easy goals you can't give them the, like the last one's incredible and I know they overcommitted them forward but so many things have to go right for that Chadley winner so many things have to go right yeah, that's true. I'm always happy to leave that, that possibility open because you need three perfect passes mm-hmm. and probably the step over and the finish so that's fine but you know even like and Fellaini's one Fellaini gets up really well obviously he's good in the air and the header is down but it is central to the goal the keeper is as we said like shaky he's got cro- like in cricket what they call crocodile hands where you try and clap to catch the ball rather than kind of using Scoop. yeah you're yeah. scooping your arms should be like working in parallel yeah. rather than than like the jaws of a crocodile um, and yeah so it's a shame to see Japan go out do you know the last the last goal sorry the, the Belgium's goal you know what it reminds me of, even though it's completely different? It reminded me a lot of Michael Owens against Argentina in St. Etienne. Just because suddenly a break is on and like there's a couple of defenders that are, people were pointing this out the other day on the anniversary that are really deep. And you saw, like we're saying, yeah. with uh, Yamaguchi's just kind of stood there. But there was almost like a, an air of inevitability about it. Like, oh, oh bloody hell, right, here, here they go. And, and, and it was just so thrilling to just to witness and, and all the better for coming in in the last minute as well uh, it was I mean they kicked off and the game was over um, the goal that it was not like at all which I'm going to say it was like is Ryan Giggs's goal against Arsenal in the FA Cup semi-final yeah 
Just the rampage. This is this is a great counter-attacking team gun. We've picked up two individual solo efforts. <laughs> <laughs> really it's a new section. Uh, tomorrow, in goals that weren't like the goal that we're going to pair, comparing it to, um, we might have Hamas uh, Rodriguez's stunning strike to put England out. And how it was in no way like Paddy McCarthy's goal for Crystal Palace against Derby County in 2010. Um, we should probably talk about Brazil. And uh, rather than you or I do that, let's um, throw it over to our man in Samara today. Um, a very sleepy Miguel Delaney. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Yeah, evening from a, a very hot and sticky Samara, probably the the warmest place I've been in Russia. Um, makes Moscow, which has been very balmy the last few days, very cool. Um, and I actually think those conditions might have affected the game to a slight extent because Mexico went into that match trying to do what they did against Germany and almost blow Brazil away with their pressing and their energy. But you can't keep that up and. Even in better conditions, I don't think it would have too much of an effect on Brazil because Brazil knew that was going to be the case and they proved themselves tonight, maybe above anything, that they could well be the most intelligent team left in the competition. Uh, what really stood about Brazil for me today, there was, there was, first of all, I suppose most conspicuously, and despite what happened with his usual theatrics with that incident with Lyon, um, although Lyon still should have been sent off, he stamped on Neymar, uh, there was the maturity of Neymar's game. And I think that reflected overall. Um, like, I mean, N- Neymar's obviously become the the grand figurehead of this Brazil team. He dominates everything, all discussion, to the point when he didn't even score the goal. He acknowledged the contribution of the goal scorer from Hino in the way that's usually reversed. Um, but beyond all that, I think he did show, he's shown greater maturity. Like, he, he actually, he personified uh, Brazil in a better way today because he he had a much more stripped down game, much more efficient game in which he did things for the right reasons rather than kind of for his own selfish reasons or for flair or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think that was best illustrated with a, a necessary backheel for the opening goal. Uh, and Brazil's performance in general was stripped down and efficient. That's what. It, and but I think but what most went out beyond that and Neymar's influence was actually the uh, for me how good that defence is. I'm just writing a piece on it now that should be out at the same time as his podcast on how to defend because Chiche was very interesting after the match and he really went into the mechanics of how they basically look to limit space. And I think that's probably what's most impressive about Brazil. There was a moment that late in the game when um, uh, Fagner made some block and he... Um, he you know, he celebrated, he celebrated the block with his teammates in the way it was reminiscent of Chiellini and Buffon. 
Uh, I know that's obviously a standout piece of defending. But what, what's actually better about Brazil is when they don't have to go to those lengths. Because what, what, what really strikes is how much they seem to limit the space for attackers and, and limit what they can do before the opposition even realise. And that's really, really intelligent. <laughs> it actually reminds me a bit of Burnley. And, that, and that's no faint praise. No, that, I think it's, it, it's, it's compliment to both. Just the intelligence to defending. And Chich went into that after the game, how they do it, in which he says they, they, they concentrate on all, all these movements and, and the shape of it. But first of all, they mark the space, then they go for the ball, then they finally go for the player. But they usually don't need to get, get, to, need to, get to the player. Um, and I suppose this comes after a few days after Piquet had been talking about how the way you win World Cups, and he's someone who knows, of course, despite what happened on Sunday, is true defence and 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 just and limiting chances. And it was something Spain didn't do. It's something that Brazil had perfected. And I think it's why they're now my overwhelming favourites. Um, I think Belgium will struggle to open them in that way, despite their abundance of attacking talent. Uh, and I say that as well, having, to be honest, I, I really hammered Brazil after the first match and what I thought was an infantile, infantile performance, quite a poor performance against Switzerland. But in the space of four games, and maybe that was just kind of one of those one-off games that happens at the start of a tournament, it's difficult to get into it. But in the space of four games, they've really grown and they look really assertive and commanding. And I'd have a lot of confidence in them going all the way. I don't think I think teams are going to really struggle to break them down. I think they will, Miguel. And I think that Brazil are still the huge favourites for this World Cup because um, I'd so there was some weird thing earlier where people started comparing them to Burnley. Um, which is bizarre to me because um, if Burnley had Neymar and Coutinho, they'd probably be like the perfect team. Because all you're saying by saying that they're like Burnley is they're, they're compact and they're good at defending. They don't concede goals. Brazil, how many goals have they conceded this top competition? That, um, the Licksteiner one. one. Yeah. Um, how did that come about, a Licksteiner goal? It's a header, isn't it? Just a header. I think. Um, I, I, I can't even remember it. We, so, were, we were at Germany, Mexico. That we were at Germany, Mexico. It was weeks ago uh, now. But they haven't looked like conceding the games I've watched recently. And more to the point, uh, they're improving with every game and they look better with every game. And Willian, who looked shaky in, in one of their group games, is now one of the more important players. And, and Coutinho and Neymar and Gabriel Jesus, that little link-up is, is excellent. So I think they uh, have to be considered favourites. Uh, they will certainly be favourites against Belgium, given the contrasting displays today. Um, but that is on the other side of the draw, what, what we call the, the rubbish side of the draw that no one cares about. What we really care about, Critch, is um, the, the patriotic side of the draw, um, the side of the draw that eats Coleman's mustard and Walker's crisps and, and gammon. And what do you think is going to happen tomorrow at the Spartak Stadium at 9pm local time when the three lines of England take on the coffee makers of Colombia what do I think is going to happen um, I'm really I'm really finding it difficult to make a a good solid prediction about this game because um, okay so I, last week I, I mercifully missed uh, all the podcasts that involved any discussion about whether it was good or the bad side of the draw <laughs> which means I can now come back on the podcast a week later and say that I 100% always thought that this was the right side of the draw to be on. Now, that doesn't mean that you throw a game or like try to lose or anything. But, but it means when you're 1-0 down, you don't put any you don't put Harry Kane on. Well, yeah, and it, and it means that you don't go all out to win, which I think is the kind of, you know, it's a kind of dichotomy. We're either, oh, we're either trying to lose or we're not trying to win hard enough. Well, no, you can, 
you can rest your players and you know what happens happens so I think it was it was the right decision last week um, but this you know the fallback is that you've got to play a difficult Colombia team who I think perhaps I don't it's hard to get a gauge on them I don't know you might have seen a bit more than, than me but I, th- I think they're I think they're good but they've definitely got weaknesses and like England certainly can beat them so therefore all this all the all, all the fear and all, all, all the nervousness about oh but it's Colombia you know we're going to lose to Colombia I didn't I, I didn't think that was I didn't think that was necessary. I don't know. You you probably seen more than I have. So, your thoughts? Um, I think they. I, th- I think that if they were at full strength with Hammers uh, playing fully fit, I think this is a real fifty-fifty. I think it's a, a coin flip game. Uh, they came out of what was an evenly matched, some could say weak group. Um, yeah. I think it's decent. It was an, you know certainly an interesting group, wasn't it? In Most the end, competitive, definitely. J- Japan, Senegal, uh, Colombia, and I'm missing someone. Poland. Poland. Poland were crap, actually, weren't they? Forget, forget that. Poland were awful. But everyone else was, was quite good. And um, they, they basically were the better team in their first game, despite playing 85 minutes of it with 10 men against Japan. And I think they, they very nearly won it with 10 men, and they ended up losing to a late goal. But uh, if, they hadn't, if Carlos Sanchez hadn't had that brain meltdown five minutes into his World Cup, uh, and I do think a lot of that really was to do with like the fact that the kind of his heart was still racing from the national anthem and all that sort of stuff. Um, then I think they win the group handily to the point that they could probably rest players for that final game. Instead, they played uh, their first team in, in Volgograd in like the hottest game of the tournament so far. I think it was thirty-seven degrees in the end on the kind of day that England rested all their first team players so I think that's a huge advantage for England I think no James is obviously a big advantage for England now um, they said that the scan said there's no tear but that doesn't mean he's fit Um, Colombians that we've talked to don't think he will start against England he uh, has had the same problem in his car but he lost a month of the season at Bayern due to that he couldn't he was deemed unfit to start the opening game and then came on with half an hour to go. They lost that game, so they were desperate and had to win the second game. So he started, but couldn't really run, but still played a couple of killer passes, including that goal for Juan Cuadrado's uh, excellent second goal yeah. that day. Um, and then he was deemed fit to start the third game and came off after half an hour. So all of that tells you that he's obviously not been fully fit at any point during this tournament. So... Having gone off in the last game injured, you see no way that he's actually going to be properly fit for this game. And thus, I think England have to just discard the possibility of him playing. If he comes on or whatever, fine. But he's not going to be James Rodriguez at any point. So you've got to deal with the team you're playing against. And the team you're playing against, if you look at it on paper, I think isn't that good. Um, (laughs) Well, no, I mean, like... They, they, they've done well so far and, and I do like Colombia I, I like Jose Peckerman as their coach because he's old and experienced and, and makes the right decision more often than not most famously didn't when he was in charge of Argentina um, in 2006 took off Raquel May which is something that they, they've never forgiven him for um, but the, the back line is is kind of what's the word I'm looking for it's gettable like Yerry Mina 
has had a lot of praise uh, because he scored, he scored two goals. headed goals. Yeah, <laughs> but actually, he, he's his first season at Barcelona was so ropey that they want to put him out on loan next season, um, and he's not. Well, let's say he's got a clangor in him. Davinson Sanchez is excellent, I think, but you know he's alongside someone who who potentially isn't. Mm. Um, Mahika at left back, Arias at right back. The central midfield, Wilma Barrios, who, who Tottenham have been keeping a close eye on, the Boca Juniors midfielder, uh, sort of that all action sort of type. But again, not the you know he he's not as good as any of the England midfielders. Carlos Sanchez was at Aston Villa, you might remember, not as good as any of the England midfielders. Uh, Quadrado is a very good player despite having a, a weird spell at Chelsea that definitely didn't work out um, he's got enough success in his career behind him for us to say that he's a good player and I think you see when he plays for Colombia he's, he's very good as well Quintero has been one of the breakout stars of this tournament um, has all the talent in the world it's just whether he can implement that and then the last couple of games he has uh, Luis Muriel is really fast but not actually very good at kicking the ball and stuff um, which I've always thought was a, a key part of football um, he's carved out a half decent career for himself but the downgrade from James for fitness is huge and then up front Falcao who has certainly recovered from the nightmare he had in England mm-hmm. he is a good striker again he's, he's obviously never got back up to the level of being the best centre forward in the world which he certainly was for a while at Atletico Madrid um, but really you know considering where do you think England's weak spots are Weak spots are England, um, England's weak spots. England's weak spots. Um, I think we've known for most of the tournament so far that um, you're looking at the defence. I think it's strange because coming into the into the tournament, they'd had so many kind of clean sheets and nil nils and, and impressive performances against the likes of Brazil and Germany, where they've managed to shut them out. But um, it's it's still. You wonder, like even in the Panama game, I thought in that in that opening kind of twenty minutes when they weren't giving up chances, but there's there's opportunities to run at this defense. I like it. I like the way it's set up, and I like. I, I think it's he's right to go with Maguire and Walker rather than say Jones and Cahill, who would be more traditional centre halves. I think I think it works well because they often have to step up and um, play balls into into midfield and even act as kind of like little pivots sometimes, but. Um, I, I do wonder about the gaps that they can leave and um, the space between them and the uh, the wing backs. And then I think also he's had a lot of attention this week as well. But and we knew coming into the tournament again, but the, the goalkeeper Pickford, um, whether any of the other two options below him are better, I don't think you'd change it now anyway. So that's the weak spots. But I mean, going you're going through the Columbia team there, and we're saying, you know, this guy isn't as good as this guy in England's midfield. But I, I remember. I think I even remember uh, the BBC pundits doing that before the knockout game in 2010 against Germany. You know, because yeah, they're yeah. like, who's this Mesut Ozil anyway? Like, he's not Frank Lampard. So, so you, you're always conscious about this stuff. The difference is that I've actually watched these players play I know before. That. And, and, uh, and, and, and most of the BBC pundits, uh, well, I, say, I mean, like, there are very good BBC pundits. But my point is, the my, usual suspects don't. My point is that, yes, we can match them up on paper, even if we know the players well but it's about how they actually operate as a, as a unit together. And, and I think, like everybody said, it's not an original point, but do we know how good this England team is yet? We don't really. Um, I was actually... I remember being on this podcast after after the Tunisia game and I was one of the more like optimistic or upbeat people about that performance. And I still think the first 20 minutes there were the best that we've seen from England so far, even though they... You know, Panama, I, I don't think you can read too much into that anyway. And... and it, 
again a lot of it was kind of like penalties or pot shots or whatever or set pieces that first 20 minutes against Tunisia where there was a lot of good interplay um, in and around the box and, and chances created I think that's what you'd want to see more of tomorrow um, and yeah it's, it's just hard to get a gauge on England still uh, if they win this game I imagine the, the hype train is going to go in their overdrive isn't it and um, all that terrible it's coming home meme is going to be everywhere but um, like I said this I think they were right to go for this side of the draw it's just that you know, and and to be honest as well, I make this other point. People might disagree with this, but even if they do lose tomorrow, it was still right to go for this side of the draw because it's a numbers game, isn't it? And I think we all understood that, you know, this Colombia and the rest of the teams that are Sweden, Switzerland, whoever, they're all weaker than the other one. So whether or not they win or lose, I think it was right to do it. We just they've just got to make good on it now because otherwise, I, I'm sure there's plenty of people won't share my opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, look, it's. Uh... You you got to take the process over the result. If you get the process right, over time it, it's going to come and break for you. I think you you can't avoid the fact that England have got a good chance of of going further than they've gone for a long time in the World Cup. Yeah. Um, by accident, almost. You know, slightly by design. design. Slight <laughs> slightly by design but much more by accident. And that's, you know, that's not about, like, the, some great things have happened by accident. Penicillin was invented, invented by accident, you know. Um, there, there are lots of things that happen by accident, which are fine. And... My mum always said that was a great accident. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I, I'm, I, I agree with her. You were a terrific accident. Um, but, you know, I, I look at the Columbia team and I think... It is to their benefit that, that Peckerman reins them in slightly, their, their natural tendencies. And they do have players there that can hurt you. But in a, like, I'm trying to work out that who's... Uh, the biggest obvious overmatch that they would have on England is, assuming Eric Dyer doesn't play, uh, then Quintero will try and dangle off the back of Jordan Henderson between him and the back three. And Quadrado will try and get behind Ashley Young. That they're the two where you're looking at it, and it's like okay, so that looks to me about it. Like Falcao has notionally three centre backs marking him. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like you know, like he he hasn't got. But, I mean, uh, he's lost it. You know, that he had awful, 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 awful knee injury. He hasn't got explosion off the ground anymore he's still a good technical striker and, and he knows what he's doing around the penalty box but he's not going to turn and leave three centre-backs for dead if he's got three centre-backs on him then uh, if there's three centre-backs on one player one Colombian player then I think it's England's problem not Colombia's <laughs> but, but um, yeah I, I, we've seen Falcao a few years ago for Monaco in the Champions League come up against John Stones interestingly I think JPB's done a piece about this hasn't he uh, or at least mentioned it um, where he absolutely, you know, he, he bossed Stones that night and had him all over the place. So, is there an argument for playing Cahill? I don't think so. Just because I think um, that, as I said before, I, I think for this for that back three to work how Southgate wants it to work, it needs the personnel, those three, those three defenders in there. It needs Maguire, it needs Walker, and it needs Stones, because just from just from a just from a, a more you know a, from the point of view of England having the ball 
those three are far better at distributing it than um, than Jones or Cahill would be, like I said before. So I would I would focus on that still. Because like you say, this really is a 50-50 game. I thought that when people were, all the, when all the permutations were going around. I don't think it's a 50-50 game without Hammers. I think, in, you don't I think, think England are favourites and should be favourites. Mm, yeah, I think they should win. But I think, look, in this side of the draw, we're all talking about this side of the draw. In the last 16, is there any team that you would have, like, are Columbia the least favourable team in the whole draw? Like, if you, they're probably the one that you would want the least. People keep talking up Croatia, but I don't think we've seen... I really don't do you mean the quarterfinals? Do you mean in the quarterfinals? I mean, sorry, so I mean... <laughs> it's a bit of a weird way of putting it. I mean that in this side of the draw, yeah. in this side of the last 16 draw, everyone's saying, oh, we want to be in that one because, like, you know, it's got the... I think I think so. Basically, what I'm saying is that in this side of the draw now, England and Colombia are probably the two best teams in it. And if any, you know, everybody's saying one of these teams goes to the final. I think probably the winner of tomorrow's game is the one that goes to the final. That's what I'm saying. I would have rather played Colombia than Spain, but I imagine you're not including oh, them. Oh, sorry, yeah, Russia, yeah. yeah. Mm. Russia, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Russia because you know it's just just momentum. The way things happen. John, <laughs> Johnny's written an incredible piece about Russia. Which is, uh, if it's not live, I think it might go live first thing tomorrow. But really good stuff. And you're going to want to read that. Uh, yeah, Croatia. I mean, Croatia in the last 16 would be brutal. Because they have got a lot of quality. But they didn't look amazing against Denmark. And they... I kind of feel like they should have gone out against Denmark. I don't see how it ties together with Croatia. Because it's we've got this fantastic midfield. But... The, the link between that and the attack which is basically Mandzukic running out, running around like all over the place and ever willing never at, scoring well yeah returning up at the back post and like trying to head, which is probably what he should be doing more often but the rest of the time he's just roaming around like I don't I, I, from Croatia so far you're always wary of Modric because he's such a good player but I, I don't I'm, I'm not particularly impressed and I wouldn't even feel that if, if England were playing Croatia tomorrow then I would be confidently back in England to win put it that way with Colombia I'm not so sure because um, just because of that first game against Japan as well where that's really like you say coloured their tournament and it coloured their group stage and meant that they had to do they had to play in a certain way and, and get certain results and um, for that reason it's kind of two unknown quantities going at it I, I think uh, virtually the opposite I think I, I, I'd be much more <laughs> so, scared by Croatia right. um, much more scared by Croatia not least because Colombia basically you know have one outstanding player and he's missing um, Croatia have, have a few outstanding players I don't think the system is quite right do you see the French newspaper Le Monde called um, Luka Modric the, uh, the Le Grand Passeur Le Petit Perjur the other day which is a, the, the great passer the little perjurer relating to his court case oh, in right, Croatia yeah. Yeah. which I thought was uh, like a needless place to go with a, in a headline but I mean it is interesting the behind the scenes stuff of that Croatian team to be fair you can imagine a team that a team that is about to, you know, half of them are about to go to jail, going all the way to the World Cup final. That's that's the kind of narrative that this World Cup needs and deserves, actually. So the funny thing is, if England did draw Croatia, um, the amount of stories that would suddenly pop up about how Modric should already be in jail. Yeah, well, that's I, a semi final. I, I suppose that's a, that is the semi final that is going to happen, not just a potential one. Yeah. So you're seeing the Brazil Croatia final. Um. No. What from here? Do you really want me to predict my final? Uh, from yeah. Here? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! I th- I'm gonna say that because I think England will win tomorrow. Just and I did say before that whichever of these two teams gets in the final, 
that Brazil will win the World Cup <laughs> against England in the final. So what you're saying is that it might be coming home because anything can happen in a 90-minute final. No, no, that, no. So you're no. saying there's a chance. It's not coming home. You're saying it's not coming home. They're, they're coming home, trophyless, with nothing. And and tomorrow... Maybe in the final. Tomorrow, we'll, we'll find out. Um, and tomorrow night, I guess, we'll have a special live podcast from Spartak Stadium after the game. Yeah. With Johnny and Jack involved. Um, and me and you. And, well, yeah, no, I think no, that we... that was a given, I was, see. Yeah, right. no, like, we're already included. They're, they're bolt-ons, really. Um, and we... Uh, oh, is there another game tomorrow? Yeah, Sweden-Switzerland. Um, uh, who's going to win that one? I think it's going to be Sweden, you know. Because okay, I- that'll do. Sweden oh. uh, to beat Switzerland. Do you know what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you like Sweden, do you? Have you been to a Sweden game? Yes. Okay, all right. Tell us about Sweden. Sweden are very untypical of any, well, maybe not any, but a lot of teams at this World Cup. They're basically a little bit like Panama, but very good. Uh, Not quite as rough, Um, but they are direct, uncomplicated, but effective. Uh, I've said several times now, they were my dark horses in our predictions on the tournament. And I think I've been proved right on that one already. So happy with that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, like they're they're the kind of team that, um, again, if England do go into the quarterfinal and they're against them, people will think, "Ah, oh, well, that, here it is now. This is our gimme quarterfinal that we that we wanted." But um, I wouldn't be so sure because having w- watched them that time against Germany, it's 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 not that they created too much, but when they did, it was it was good and um, really really found some openings. So uh, I th- I think they'll probably put away a Switzerland side that um, other than their game and even then at their game against Serbia I wasn't that imp- I've not been too impressed by so far um, so yeah I think it's Sweden Sweden uh, have already seen off Italy the Netherlands and Germany yep. and next will be the, the the real home of football the home of FIFA Switzerland Switzerland so uh, yeah Sweden um, would be England's opponents in the in the next round um, yeah, so as I say, podcast tomorrow night, which will be live from Spartak Stadium. All four of us, uh, Miguel sadly can't make it, he is flying back from Samara. But the four of us will break down England's uh, World Cup win over Colombia. The 3-1 victory? Uh, 2-1. 2-1 victory. Uh, so until then, um, of course, make sure that you uh, tell your friends, uh, rate, review and subscribe. Uh, to the podcast and we will be back You'd have to cut this with that little break, actually. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.